early 1825, winter winds ripped through the city of Vienna. But those within the thick walls of Antonio Salieri's estate were safe from the cold. Warmed by a roaring fire, a nurse named Dora sat in Salieri's bedchamber, tending to the aging composer. Exquisite oil paintings and velvet couches surrounded the room's focal point, a stately grand piano. The frail 74-year-old maestro no longer had the strength to play the instrument. But as he lay in his bed, Salieri's fingers and wrists rocked and twitched as if he was performing one of his famous operas. It broke Dora's heart to see the musician's memory and health suffer. His music had brought light to some of her darkest days. Now and again, Salieri had brief moments of lucidity, but they were unpredictable and rare. So she was shocked when the Italian composer suddenly grabbed her wrist and snapped his attention towards her. When Dora's gaze met his, she saw pain and regret in Salieri's eyes. They broke through the illness, keeping his mind hostage. In a soft, quivering voice, he tried to tell her something. As she leaned forward to listen to Salieri's deathbed confession, Dora's blood ran cold. The rumors were true. 34 years earlier, Antonio Salieri poisoned his most contested rival, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a podcast original. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. This is our second and final episode on the death of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. In 1791, Mozart died of what doctors called military fever. But in the weeks that followed, a German newspaper suggested he may have been poisoned. Last episode, we discussed Mozart's career from the age of six to his death at the end of the 18th century. We also met our murder suspects for this week's conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theory number one. Influential Italian composer Antonio Salieri poisoned Mozart to eliminate him as competition for a coveted position in the Austrian royal court. And conspiracy theory number two. The Freemasons, an underground fraternal organization Mozart belonged to, murdered him for releasing too many of its secrets. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. 
With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart spent the final months of his life battling paranoid thoughts and depression. He suffered from high fevers, swollen limbs, boils, and a severe rash, all of which rendered him bedridden in his final moments. On December 5, 1791, he passed away in his home in the Austrian capital of Vienna. Doctors listed the cause of death as military fever, a general term for an illness accompanied by elevated temperature and a rash. At least, that's the official story. But the truth may have been much more sinister. A week after Mozart's death, the German newspaper, Musikalisches Wohenblatt, published a scandalous story claiming someone had poisoned Mozart. But they didn't name who. The most popular rumored culprit, however, is this week's first conspiracy, renowned composer and musician Antonio Salieri. Some claim that he poisoned Mozart out of jealousy and fear. So let's travel back in time to early 1782, when Salieri heard Mozart perform for the very first time. Thirty-two-year-old Antonio Salieri took his seat in the small music venue in Vienna. Hundreds of other concertgoers eagerly awaited the evening's performance. As a member of the Royal Court of Musicians, Salieri was particularly anxious. He wasn't attending the concert just for fun. He was there to evaluate his competition. The crowd went silent as a small group of string musicians took their place around the unoccupied piano at center stage. Once they were seated, 26-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart strode out from the wings. Despite standing only five feet four inches tall, he commanded the room. The audience watched in hushed anticipation as Mozart gave a polite bow and took a seat at the piano. He wasted no time and launched straight into the concerto. (laughs) 
Mozart executed every crescendo and keystroke flawlessly. His music seemed to transport the entire audience to a new plane of existence. Salieri was no exception. His heart soared with every key change, powerless to resist the effects of Mozart's genius. Salieri glanced at the reactions of the concertgoers around him. They were enraptured. Their faces relaxed in bliss. Their eyes locked on the stage, taking in Mozart's every movement. They loved him. When the 30-minute concert ended, Salieri stood up and allegedly stormed out of the concert hall. He had seen the future of music in Vienna, and apparently it frightened him. At the time, Salieri hadn't met Mozart in person, but it's not unreasonable to assume that he felt intimidated by Mozart's talent. The royal court had a limited number of positions available for composers. Salieri may have already secured one for himself, but as we mentioned last episode, Mozart and Salieri both wanted the same coveted title, lead composer of the emperor's court. Given Mozart's reputation, Salieri must have felt that Mozart threatened his chances of getting the position. Allegedly, there were rumors of a rivalry between them for years prior to Mozart's death. And those rumors may have been started by Mozart himself. In his first few years living in Vienna, Mozart penned letters to his father, complaining about his lack of employment opportunities. And he alluded to some possible tension between himself and Salieri. In one letter, Mozart reportedly wrote, You know these Italian gentlemen. They are very nice to your face. Enough. We all know about them. I would love to show him what I can really do with an Italian opera. In another, he appeared to blame his lack of mobility on a shadowy network of Italian composers who Mozart believed strove to crush him. The letters rarely, if ever, explicitly referred to Salieri by name. That said, Mozart's musings were indicative of his fragile emotional and mental state. If anything, they revealed that Mozart harbored resentment against Italian musicians. Italy was the epicenter of opera, and Mozart believed his compositions weren't taken seriously because of his Germanic background. In other words, he felt discriminated against. That prejudice might have led to some vitriol between Mozart and Salieri. When Mozart arrived in Vienna in the early 1780s, Salieri was six years his senior and much more established. We've already mentioned that competition was high, but layer prejudice on top of that conflict, and Salieri might have had real motivation to poison Mozart. After all, Salieri traveled roughly 500 miles to get to Vienna and fought tooth and nail to earn his position in the royal court. Mozart's emergence threatened to take away everything Salieri had battled to achieve. When Salieri was 13 years old, his parents tragically died. 
The details of their deaths are obscure, but afterwards Salieri stayed with his older brother in Padua, Italy. His brother allegedly lived as a monk and was therefore unable to provide much for young Salieri. In Padua, Salieri spent most of his days panhandling. According to historian John A. Rice, Salieri taught himself to play music so that he could earn money as a street performer. By his mid-teens, Salieri could play the violin and harpsichord. His dreams of becoming a famous musician had started. When Salieri was 16, a wealthy aristocrat and family friend, Giovanni Mocenigo, took him in. He saw promise in the struggling teenager and wanted to further his musical education. Mocenigo moved Salieri to Vienna, where Salieri took up residence in Mocenigo's lavish home. As the years passed, Salieri made a name for himself by playing small concert venues. The young Italian seized every opportunity that came his way. Mocenigo had taught him how to sweet-talk those in power. It wasn't long before Viennese high society welcomed Salieri into its innermost circles. Eventually, Salieri befriended Emperor Joseph II and secured himself a position as a musician for the royal court. He had come a long way from hustling on street corners. When Mozart finally arrived in Vienna, it's not hard to imagine that Salieri felt uneasy. Mozart's talents posed a threat to Salieri's prospects. For a while, that threat was abstract. Salieri was secure in his position at court, while Mozart struggled to break his way in. But in 1787, Emperor Joseph hired Mozart. The two composers became direct competitors. However, Salieri's seniority gave him a leg up. When the emperor assigned commissions to create new works of music, he usually won out. Perhaps his sustained success made him overconfident. And once he put his guard down, Mozart took full advantage. According to Mozart's wife, Constanza, the emperor first offered Salieri the opportunity to write the libretto for the opera Cosi Fantuta. For whatever reason, he chose not to take the job. So Joseph gave the commission to Mozart. The opera went on to critical acclaim, though its run ended early due to the emperor's unexpected death. With Mozart's star shining and the emperor out of the picture, maybe Salieri decided to slowly snuff Mozart's fire before it burned too brightly. That's what many believed when the German newspaper published their article following Mozart's death, claiming that someone had poisoned the young maestro. The newspaper might not have used Salieri's name, but someone eventually did. In 1824, an anonymous source scattered pamphlets around Viennese concert halls, which openly accused Antonio Salieri of Mozart's murder. Coming up, we'll examine Salieri's deathbed confession. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. 
Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After Mozart's death in 1791, a German newspaper published a story that suggested he had been poisoned, but the article didn't provide a suspect. However, a name finally emerged over two decades later. In 1824, 33 years after Mozart's death, guests arrived at a concert hall in Vienna to see Antonio Salieri's student, Ludwig von Beethoven, perform his Ninth Symphony. In their seats, guests found a two-page anonymous pamphlet waiting for them. For the first time in history, someone publicly named Antonio Salieri as Mozart's killer. According to the pamphlet, Salieri paid an assassin to slip poison into Mozart's drinks. As members of the royal court, Mozart and Salieri spent countless nights together at society functions with food and drink passed by catering staff. It wouldn't have been difficult for a hired worker to lace a drink or an hors d'oeuvre with poison. And if Salieri didn't want to pay someone, he might have been able to do it himself. By his hand or a hired hand, it appears almost likely that Salieri poisoned Mozart especially considering he reportedly later confessed to Mozart's murder. In 1825, a year after the anonymous pamphlet was circulated around Vienna, Salieri fell deathly ill. Those who cared for the composer watched him cycle in and out of lucidity. During one of his moments of clarity, Salieri supposedly grabbed his nurse, Dora, and whispered a secret in her ear. He had indeed killed Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. The few sources that reference the confession are vague on the confession's specifics, but apparently Salieri didn't admit how he slayed Mozart. If Salieri did murder Mozart, as he allegedly confessed, and it was poison, as the media claimed, then Mozart's symptoms should have reflected as much. 
At the time of his death, Mozart experienced lethargy, confusion, headaches, swelling of his limbs, rash, and fever. Certainly, something was very wrong. At the end of the 18th century, something called aqua tofana was one of the poisons of choice around Europe. Made from arsenic and lead, it came predominantly from Italy, which just so happened to be Salieri's home country. However, aqua tofana caused dehydration, vomiting, diarrhea, and an intense burning sensation, which doesn't appear to be consistent with Mozart's experience. But aquatofana wasn't the only poison the assassin could have used. Perhaps Mozart's killer used mercury. Today, mercury is understood to be toxic. But at the time of Mozart's death, it was often used as medicine. If someone had a fever, constipation, or general fatigue, physicians commonly prescribed a few drops of mercury. In addition to its liquid metal form, apothecaries throughout Europe carried mercury in an odorless powder form called calomel. If taken in even small doses, less than two grams per day, it can be deadly. Common symptoms of mercury poisoning are rash, mood swings, paranoia, swelling of the limbs, and bouts of delirium, all of which seem to match Mozart's experience in the months leading up to his death. And although there was no way to prove Salieri was behind it, many took his rumored confession as truth. He might not have been tried in a court of law, but in the court of public opinion, Salieri was guilty. In the 1830s, Russian poet and playwright Alexander Pushkin wrote a short play called Mozart and Salieri. The theory that Salieri murdered Mozart was one of its major plot lines. As time passed, that belief didn't go away. In the 1970s, English playwright Peter Schaffer wrote his own interpretation of the play called Amadeus. He then adapted it for Hollywood in a critically acclaimed film by the same name. Released in 1984, Amadeus, the film, earned eight Academy Awards, including that for Best Picture. In other words, popular culture has embraced Salieri as a villain, and perhaps rightfully so. After all, he is said to have admitted to killing Mozart. That's true, but the story that's often forgotten is that Salieri later rescinded his confession and professed his innocence until he died on May 25, 1825. Most contemporary researchers believe that Salieri suffered from dementia in his final days, meaning he may have experienced delusions. Whispers of his alleged misdeeds haunted Salieri for years after Mozart's death. In the grips of dementia, maybe he believed the rumors himself. Maybe he wanted forgiveness for something he didn't do. Sure, but it's hard to deny that Mozart's symptoms appear to match calomel mercury poisoning, a drug that, as we've said, Salieri would have had easy access to. Although, as far as symptoms go, Mozart's were relatively common and could match a number of diseases unrelated to poison. Well, given the fact that doctors were unintentionally poisoning their patients at the time, 
It's hard to blame anyone for mercury-related deaths anyway. As for the rivalry between Mozart and Salieri, most contemporary historians believe it was actually one-sided. Mozart's letters show his distrust and resentment towards Italians, but there's no evidence to suggest that those feelings were reciprocated. During their time in the Austrian royal court, Salieri often conducted Mozart's music. After Mozart died, Salieri performed some of his music to honor Mozart's legacy. Even Mozart's wife, Constanza, never believed that Salieri killed her husband. If anyone had insight into a rivalry or a murder scheme, it would have been Constanza. But it seems that she never heard anything to make her suspect Salieri was capable of murder. While we have plenty of fodder for speculation, including many accusations and a confession from Salieri himself, historians are near certain Salieri didn't kill Mozart. There's not enough evidence. For those reasons, we're going to give this theory a 2 out of 10, with 1 being least likely and 10 being the most. But Salieri is just our first suspect. The German newspaper never named names. Maybe Mozart's killer wasn't a rival at all. Maybe it was someone close to him. As we discussed last episode, in 1784, an elusive underground society, the Freemasons, initiated Mozart as a member. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. The Freemasons murdered Mozart for exposing too many of the society's secrets in his opera, The Magic Flute. You can think of the Freemasons as equal parts fraternity, ceremony, and philosophy. The group was most interested in members with influence in politics, art, and culture. The leaders of the Viennese chapter recruited Mozart when he was just 28 years old. But despite Mozart's sterling reputation, he started at the Freemasons' lowest level, the rank of apprentice. In Freemasonry, each rank is named after the career path of a traditional stoneworker. Members are schooled in the symbols and secrets of their ancestors to advance in degrees. It seems that Mozart took to the Freemasons with gusto. Apparently, one month after being inducted, he climbed to the organization's second rank, the journeyman. Due to the Freemasons' secretive nature, we don't know how each individual chapter operated, but we do know, in some cases, it can take years for a member to reach journeyman. And Mozart wasn't done rising through the ranks. Shortly after becoming a journeyman, Mozart leveled up again to the highest rank of the group, Master Mason. In some instances, it can take members a lifetime to ascend to the rank of master. Mozart did it in a matter of months. As a master mason, Mozart was given access to all of the group's ancient secrets, which could have led to some resentment from other members, those who had put in more time but hadn't risen as high. And yet, Mozart doesn't seem to have felt any resentment from his fellow Freemasons. We know that Mozart loved being part of the organization. 
It gave him a community and a sense of purpose, and of course fed his need to feel superior and special. As we mentioned last episode, Mozart wrote letters to his father about how much he enjoyed being a Mason. He even incorporated Freemason imagery and symbolism in his sheet music. So far as we can tell, most of Mozart's fellow Freemasons embraced him. They enjoyed his intellectual discussions on the society's core principle of rationalism, the idea that all decisions should be made free of emotional obscurity. But Mozart wasn't good at practicing what he preached. We know that he spent much of what he earned to keep up appearances as a celebrity in Vienna on extravagant things like fine clothes, fancy instruments, and lavish parties. Occasionally, Mozart struggled to feed his growing family at the expense of his material pursuits. Ultimately, Mozart's lack of reason when it came to spending didn't seem to hamper his role within the Freemasons. However, leveraging his position in the organization for financial gain may have been another matter altogether. Desperate for money, Mozart solicited a loan from fellow Freemason and wealthy merchant Michael Puchberg. Ultimately, Puchberg lent Mozart the equivalent of around $25,000 in today's currency. While we don't know Puchberg's rank in the Freemasons, it's possible that Mozart used his role as a master mason to pressure Puchberg into giving him money. And that Mozart deliberately lied to siphon the funds. Coming up, the Freemasons kill others to protect their secrets. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, back to the story. In 1784, Mozart joined a secret fraternal society called the Freemasons. He quickly climbed its ranks to become a master mason, an honor that can sometimes take a lifetime to earn. At some point, Mozart requested a loan from fellow mason Michael Puchberg but some have suggested that Mozart might have deceived Puchberg. Apparently, Mozart claimed he needed the money to make ends meet, but according to Austrian musicologist Michael Lorenz, Mozart lived in a lavish apartment at the time. He even owned a horse-drawn carriage, which was an expense reserved for the wealthiest of Viennese society. Lorenz suggests that Mozart might have conned Puchberg by implying that his living situation was more dire than it was. He convinced Puchberg to give him a number of loans. Mozart then used the cash for clothing or trips abroad to Venice or Paris. If tensions existed because of Mozart's expedited ascension in the group, maybe irresponsible financial decisions frayed relationships further. 
At some point, the Freemasons allegedly caught on to his scheme and cut Mozart off from any of their private funds. But that doesn't seem to have dampened his enthusiasm for the secret society. In 1791, Mozart dedicated his final opera, The Magic Flute, to the Freemasons. It told the story of young adventurer Prince Tamino. Tamino completes three tasks to bring down the evil queen of the night. Supposedly, the queen represents the enemy of the Freemasons, the Holy Roman Empire. For perspective, in 1738, Pope Clement XII outlawed membership in the Freemasons. Freemasonry stressed the importance of individual thought and offered an alternative philosophy from those popular at the time. In essence, it threatened the dominance of the Catholic Church and the Holy Roman Empire. If the Queen of the Night embodies the Holy Roman Empire, the protagonist, Prince Tamino, represents a Freemason. According to San Francisco Opera Education, the tasks Tamino undertakes symbolize the three ranks of masonry, apprentice, journeyman, master. Three is an important symbol of Freemasonry. The number appears throughout the magic flute. Three spirit boys, three dames, a serpent is cut into three pieces. Apparently, at the start of the opera, three chords are played, which allude to the secret knock given to enter Masonic lodges. The opera also references ancient Egypt. According to legend, the first Masonic chapters were founded in ancient Egypt. Given the limited documentation of the Freemasons, there are likely more symbols that we aren't privy to, like the titular flute. Ultimately, there's no way to know. We would have to ask a member of the Freemasons to understand all of the symbolism, and they are notoriously tight-lipped. Maybe Mozart's lack of tact got him killed. Allegedly, he considered the magic flute as atonement for his past financial transgressions. But other brothers might have viewed the Masonic illusions as dangerous especially the veiled attacks on the Catholic Church, one of the most powerful organizations in all of Europe when Mozart released the opera. And we know that Masons have threatened their members for spilling their secrets in the past. In 1826, a bricklayer named William Morgan joined a Masonic temple in New York but his intentions weren't exactly pure. He reportedly secured a book deal, then went undercover to expose the group's secrets. Morgan didn't get very far before other members of his lodge caught on to his scheme. Shortly after, police arrested Morgan for petty larceny. All he had actually done, though, was borrow a shirt and fail to return it. The move was meant to intimidate Morgan. The Freemasons had ties all over the city. When Morgan refused to back down, they took it a step further. A group of Freemasons arrived at prison to bail him out, but they weren't there to take him home. As they whisked him away, 
Morgan screamed for help. The police just stood by as he was dragged away. Morgan was never heard from again. If the Freemasons killed Morgan, maybe Mozart met a similar fate. Being so famous, they couldn't carry out something as public as what later happened to Morgan, but the Vienna Freemasons likely spent enough time together for one of them to poison Mozart. Yet, just like the Salieri theory, this argument falls short in one category, facts. Like we said, Mozart loved being a Freemason. It gave him a sense of camaraderie. If tensions in the group were ever high enough to warrant murder, Mozart would have probably mentioned it in one of his many letters to his family. But Mozart's famous ego might have prevented him from admitting that he wasn't well-liked. Blinded by his own self-assurance, he may not have realized the group perceived him as a liability. Maybe not. However, despite William Morgan's terrifying tale, we don't have proof that the Freemasons ever killed anyone. No record of Morgan exists after he was taken by the Freemasons, but he could have been scolded and then lived the rest of his days unbothered. There's also no evidence that the Freemasons ever harbored any ill will toward Mozart. After Mozart's death, his Masonic brothers delivered a eulogy for him. They praised his genius and his commitment to their teachings. They genuinely seemed heartbroken. Mozart's spending may have caused an occasional argument, but there's nothing to suggest the Freemasons wanted to murder him. If anything, the magic flute shined a light on their organization that represented them as the heroes. In all likelihood, Mozart's fellow Freemasons loved it. Additionally, if we can't parse all of the Masonic symbolism in the opera, it's unlikely the Catholic Church would have been able to either which is why we're giving this theory a 3 out of 10. But that doesn't change the fact that a musical savant died in the prime of his life. The tragedy of Mozart's death has permeated history, and given the ambiguity of his passing, Many still wonder what happened. We mentioned that Mozart's wife, Constanza, didn't believe Salieri murdered her husband. That's because she didn't believe that anyone had poisoned him. Constanza watched Mozart become increasingly paranoid, but she always attributed his poor health to the pressures he placed on himself to perform. He worked himself ragged on his music, for his career and to support his family and spending habits. Constanza believed that Mozart's suspicions of being poisoned was a manifestation of this stress, but his sickness was all too real. Dr. Richard Zieger, an ophthalmologist, has his own theory. He claims Mozart's symptoms were consistent with streptococcal pharyngitis, a.k.a strep throat. His rash may have been caused by scarlet fever, a bacterial infection that can develop in patients with strep throat. Over time, it progresses and can be life-threatening. 
Today, scarlet fever and strep throat are easily treatable with antibiotics. But at the time, there was little doctors could do to save Mozart. Scarlet fever wasn't a death sentence, but there was no effective treatment. After a diagnosis, doctors just hoped their patient's immune system could handle it. If untreated, strep throat can also cause kidney failure, which in turn causes fluid buildup in the body and swelling. Mozart had swelling in his hands, feet, abdomen, arms, and face. Dr. Zieger's team also discovered that there was a minor outbreak of strep throat in Vienna at the time of Mozart's death. Death records from 1791 indicate that more than 500 adults may have died from a strep throat. It's possible, even likely, that Mozart contracted the virus. He often attended large social gatherings and performed in packed concert halls with hundreds of people. The only problem? Since officials never conducted an autopsy, were forced to rely on secondhand accounts. Medicine wasn't nearly as meticulous as it is today. Crucial evidence might have just fallen through the cracks. If Mozart's body could be exhumed, doctors might find some concrete answers. But to this day, no one knows where Mozart's body was buried. And it will likely stay that way. What happened to Mozart was tragic. As fun as it is to speculate, no one should be remembered for how they died. They should be remembered for what they achieved. And in his 35 years of life, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart created 600 pieces of music. Maybe the energy spent wondering how he died is better spent appreciating the works he made. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Conspiracy Theories.